0: Chapter 2 of The Expedition of the Donner Party and Its Tragic Fate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alana Jordan. The Expedition of the Donner Party and Its Tragic Fate by Eliza P. Donner Houghton. Chapter 2 In the Territory of Kansas Prairie schooners from Santa Fe to Independence, Missouri Life and route, The Big Blue Camp Government The Blue Rover During our first few days in the Territory of Kansas, we passed over good roads and through fields of May blossoms, musical with the hum of bees and the songs of birds. Some of the party rode horseback others walked in advance of the train but each father drove his own family team we little folk sat in the wagons with our dolls watching the huge white covered prairie schooners coming from santa fe to independence for merchandise we could hear them from afar for the great wagons were drawn by four or five span of travel worn horses or mules and above the hames of each poor beast was an arch hung with from three to five clear-toned bells that jingled merrily as their carriers moved along guided by a happy-go-lucky driver usually singing or whistling a gleeful tune both man and beast looked longingly toward the town which promised companionship and revelry to the one and rest and fodder to the other We overtook several wagons, heavily laden with goods, bound for Santa Fe. Most of the drivers were shrewd, all of them civil. They were of various nationalities, some comfortably clad, others in tatters, and a few in picturesque threadbare costumes of Spanish finery. Those hardy wayfarers gave us much valuable information regarding the route before us, and the Indian tribes we should encounter. We were now averaging a distance of about two and a half miles an hour, and encamping nights where fuel and water could be obtained. Early on the 19th of May we reached Colonel Russell's camp on Soldiers Creek, a tributary of the Kansas River. The following account of the meeting held by the company after our arrival is from the journal of Mr. Edwin Bryant, author of What I Saw in California. May 19, 1946. A new census of our party was taken this morning and it was found to consist of 98 fighting men, 50 women, 46 wagons, and 350 cattle. Two divisions were made for convenience and traveling. We were joined today by nine wagons from Illinois belonging to Mr. Reed, and Messrs. donner highly respectable and intelligent gentlemen with interesting families they were received into the company by a unanimous vote our cattle were allowed to rest that day and while the men were hunting and fishing the women spread the family washings on the boughs and bushes of that well wooded stream we children who had been confined to the wagon so many hours each day stretched our limbs, and scampered off on May-day frolics. We waded the creek, made mud-pies, and gathered posies in the narrow glades between the cottonwood, beech, and alder-trees. Colonel Russell was courteous to all, visited the new members, and secured their cheerful endorsement of his carefully prepared plan of travel. He was at the head of a representative body of pioneers, including lawyers, journalists, teachers, students, farmers, and day-laborers, also a minister of the gospel, a carriage-maker, a cabinet-maker, a stonemason, a jeweler, a blacksmith, and women versed in all branches of woman's work. The government of these immigrant trains was essentially democratic and characteristically American. A captain was chosen, and all plans of action and rules and regulations were, were proposed at a General Assembly and accepted or rejected by majority vote. Consequently, Colonel Russell's function was to preside over meetings, lead the train, locate camping ground, select crossings over fordable streams, and direct the construction of rafts and other expedients for transportation over deep waters. A trumpet call aroused the camp at dawn the following morning. By seven o'clock, Breakfast had been cooked and served, and the company was in marching order. The weather was fine, and we followed the trail of the Kansas Indians toward the Big Blue. At nooning our teams stood in line on the road, chewing the cud and taking their breathing spell, while families lunched on the grass in restful picnic style. Suddenly a gust of wind swept by, and the sky turned a greenish-gray, black clouds drifted over the face of the sun. Ominous sounds came rumbling from distant hills, and before our effects could be collected and returned to cover, a terrific thunderstorm was upon us. We were three hours' distance from our evening campground, and our drivers had to walk and face that buffeting storm in order to keep control of the nervous cattle. It was still raining when we reached the knoll, where we could spend the night. Our men were tired and drenched, some of them cross. Fires were out of the question until fuel could be cut and brought from the edge of a swamp a mile from the camp. When brought, the green woods smoked so badly that suppers were late and rather cheerless. Still, there was spirit enough left in those stalwart hearts to start some mirth-provoking ditty or indulge in good-natured raillery over the joys and comforts of pioneering. Indians followed our train all day and as we had been warned against leaving temptation within reach the cattle were corralled early and their guards doubled happily the night passed without alarm or losses the following day we were joined by ex-governor boggs and companions and lost mr jordan and friends of jackson missouri who drew their thirteen wagons out of line saying that their force was strong enough to travel alone and that Captain Russell's company had become too large for rapid or convenient handling. We covered fourteen miles that day over a beautiful rolling prairie dotted with Indian lodges. Frequently their owners walked or rode beside our wagons, asking for presents. Mrs. Chucky was made happy by the gift of a dozen strings of glass beads, and the chief also kindly accepted a few trinkets and a contribution of tobacco and provisions after which he made the company understand that for a considerable payable in cotton prints tobacco salt pork and flour he himself and his trusted braves would become escort to the train in order to protect its cattle from harm and its wagons from the pilfering hands of his tribesmen his offer was accepted with the condition that he should not receive any of the promised goods until the last wagon was safe beyond his territory this bargain was faithfully kept and when we parted from the indians they proceeded to immediate and hilarious enjoyment of the unwanted luxuries thus earned we were now in line with spring storms which made us victims of frequent downpours and cyclonic winds the roads were heavy and the banks of streams so steep that often the wagons had to be lowered by aid of rope and chain. Fortunately, our people were able to take these trying situations philosophically and were ever ready to enjoy the novelties of intervening hours of calm and sunshine. The staid and elderly matrons spent most of their time in their wagons knitting or patching designs for quilts. The younger ones and the girls past theirs in the saddle. They would scatter in groups over the plains to investigate distant objects, then race back and, with song and banter, join husband and brother, driving the loose cattle in the rear. The wild, free spirit of the plain often prompted them to invite us little ones to seats behind them, and away we would canter with the breeze playing through our hair and giving a ruddy glow to our cheeks. Mr. Edwin Bryant, Mr. and Mrs. Thornton, and my mother were enthusiastic searchers for botanical and geological specimens. They delved into the ground, turning over stones and scraping out the crevices, and zealously penetrated the woods to gather mosses, roots, and flowering plants. Of the rare floral specimens and perishable tints, my mother made pencil and watercolor studies, having in view the book she was preparing for publication on ascending the bluff overlooking the big blue early on the afternoon of the twenty-sixth of may we found the river booming and the water still rising driftwood and good-sized logs were floating by on a current so strong that all hope of fording it vanished even before its depth was measured we encamped on the slope of the prairie near a timber of cottonwood oak beech and sycamore trees where a clear brook rushed over its stony bed to join the big blue. Captain Russell, with my father and other sub-leaders, examined the river banks for marks of a ford. By sunset the river had risen twenty inches and the water at the ford was two hundred yards in width. A general meeting was caused to discuss the situation. Many insisted that the company being comfortably settled should wait until the waters receded but the majority agreeing with the captain voted to construct a raft suitable to carry everything except the livestock which could be forced to swim the assembly was also called upon to settle a difference between two members of our oregon contingent Friendly intervention, having induced the disputants to suspend hostilities until their rights should be thus determined. The Assembly, however, instead of passing upon the matter, appointed a committee to devise a way out of the difficulty. J. Q. Thornton's work, Oregon and California, has this reference to that committee, whose work was significant as developed by later events. Ex-Governor Boggs, mr james f reed mr george donner and others myself included convened in a tent according to appointment of a general assembly of the immigrants with the design of preparing a system of laws for the purpose of preserving order etc we proposed a few laws without however believing that they would possess much authority provision was made for the appointment of a court of arbitrators to hear and decide disputes and to try offenders against the peace and good order of the company. The fiercest thunderstorm that we had yet experienced raged throughout that night, and had we not been protected by the bluff on one side and the timber on the other, our tents would have been carried away by the gale. The big blue had become so turbulent that work on the prospective craft was postponed, and our people proceeded to make the most of the unexpected holiday. Mr. Grayson and Branham found a bee tree and brought several buckets of delicious honey into camp. Mr. Bryant gathered a quantity of wild peas and distributed them among the friends who had spices to turn them into sweet pickles. The evening was devoted to friendly intercourse, and the camp was merry with song and melodies dear to loved ones around the old hearthstones. Meanwhile, Captain Russell had drawn a plan of the craft that should be built, and had marked the cottonwood trees on the river bank, half a mile above camp, that would furnish the necessary materials. Bright and early the following morning, volunteer boat-builders went to work with a will, and by the close of day had felled two trees about three and a half feet in diameter, had hollowed out the trunks, and made of them a pair of canoes twenty-five feet in length, In addition to this, they had also prepared timbers for the frames to hold them parallel and ensure the wagon wheels a steady place while being ferried across the river. The workers were well satisfied with their accomplishment. There was, however, sorrow instead of rejoicing in camp, for Mrs. Reed's aged mother, who had been failing for some days, died that night. At two o'clock the next afternoon she was buried at the foot of a monarch oak in a neat cottonwood coffin made by men of the party, and her grave was marked by a headstone. The craft being finished on the morning of the thirtieth of May was christened "Blue Rover," and launched amid cheers of the company. Though not a thing of beauty, she was destined to fulfill the expectations of our worthy captain. One set of guide ropes Held her in place at the point of embarkation, while swimmers on horseback carried another set of ropes across the river and quickly made them fast. Only one wagon at a time could cross, and great difficulty was experienced in getting the vehicles on and off the boat. Those working near the bank stood in water up to their armpits, and frequently were in grave peril. By the time the ninth wagon was safely landed, darkness fell. The only unforeseen delay that had occurred was occasioned by an awkward slip of the third wagon while being landed. The blue rover groaned under the shock, leaned to one side, and swamped one of the canoes. However, the damage was slight and easily repaired. The next day was Sunday, but the work had to go on, and the Reverend Mr. Cornwall was as ready for it as the rest of the toilers much anxiety was experienced when the cattle were forced into the water and they had a desperate struggle in crossing the current but they finally reached the opposite bank without accident each family embarked in its own wagon and the last was ferried over in the rain at nine o'clock that night the ropes were then detached from the blue rover as she drifted away in the darkness captain russell had dispatched matters vigorously and tactfully, and when the labors of that day were completed, still had a word of cheer for the shivering, hungry travelers whom he led into camp one mile west of the memorable Big Blue. Despite stiff joints and severe colds, all were anxious to resume travel at the usual hour next day, June the first. Chapter two.